Profiles in Teaching with Technology is a podcast series created by Music First, a company dedicated to providing world-class cloud-based tools, content, and classroom management platforms to music teachers around the world. Each episode features a K-12 music educator who uses technology to enhance their teaching in innovative ways. We'll discuss the what, why, and how of their technology integration and hopefully share some teaching strategies that you can use in your own classroom. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. There you'll be able to find out about all of our platforms, as well as sign up for a free 30-day trial. Alexander Stoyanovich is an accomplished music teacher at one of Sydney's most prestigious high schools. He started his music education in Serbia at the age of seven by having piano and solfege lessons. In 2006, Alex joined a music high school in Belgrade, where he received training and education in classical piano performance. During this time, he performed at various national and international competitions and stages, achieving outstanding results as a performer. In 2013, Alex enrolled at the Sydney Conservatorium of Music, majoring in piano performance. After two years of studying, he transferred to the music education course, where he started developing his passion for teaching and music technology. After completing his music education degree with distinction, Alex assumed a role as a music teacher at North Sydney Girls High School. Here, he influenced music programs of all stages and introduced technology to all of his students. Alex teaches all high school levels and successfully runs multiple ensembles such as the school rock band and two choirs. In 2020, his senior students achieved outstanding high school certificate results and multiple nominations for Encore, which is an opportunity for outstanding performers and composers completing high school in New South Wales to perform at the Sydney Opera House. Well, I am very pleased this week to be speaking with somebody literally on the other side of the planet. Um, Alex Stoyanovich is uh, a music teacher at North Sydney Girls High School. Alex, you came very highly recommended by um, Keith Huxtable, who thinks the world of you. Um, and I know um, I've visited um, some of the incredible schools uh, north of Sydney, so I can imagine what your program's like. But welcome to the show. I'm really looking forward to chatting with you today. Thank you very much, and thank you for having me in your podcast. So the first question, I, what I do with everybody, and I, I'm, I'm, I know that you've listened to a few of these episodes, I just love for you to explain, you know, kind of your path between finding music and figuring out it was your kind of career path. And, um, you know, I know you have a very interesting story, so I won't, I won't, um, I won't, in, in terms of where you grew up and, and where you went to school. So why don't you, why don't you go over that bit and how you got uh, eventually to where you are teaching today? Yeah, yeah, cool. So I've started with my music education when I was around, I think, seven. I started doing piano lessons and solfege lessons in a government primary music school. So this is a system that is set up in Serbia. So on the side of your traditional normal primary school, you can enroll into a music high school, into a music primary school, which also has an audition, which is a bit terrifying when you're yeah, six. Sure. So I failed one of those. I think I, I tried the first one at six and they're like, ah, oh, you're a bit too young for this. And then I retried again when I was seven and I finally got into the primary school. So pretty much what, what they do is you would have two half an hour instrumental lessons, depending on the instruments you want to, you want to do. And you would have half an hour solfege lesson for the first three years. And 
it's pretty intense from the beginning. So I started doing my first competitions probably two years into my piano training. And then from the fourth year of your primary school, we would the, the lessons would go to an hour. So you would have two one-hour lessons per week, self-edge lesson and a theory lesson. So wow. it's four hours of music studying. This is, again, aside from your general general primary school. And then, yeah, so after, after you finish, I believe, six or seven years of your primary music school, you can enroll into a music high school. And this is what I did after finishing my primary school. The system is a little bit different. We have eight years of general primary school and then four years of high school. And each high school is selective and they are, they're different based on the trade. Mm -hmm. So if you put in music, you can go to a selective music school, do a test, and then you get into music school. If you're good at maths, you can do a high school majoring in maths. Or if you want to do architecture, there's a high school for that. So it's kind of good in a way that you get that specialization like early on. But the problem that I see with it is that you need to figure out what do you want to do for the rest of your life when you are about like 13 or 14. Wow. It's, I want to be a musician. Let's do that. Because you can imagine universities are very similar all around the world. You need to do a test to get into a uni. And then if you went to a music school, that kind of narrows down your, your options. So you can't really study medicine after doing, you know, four years right, of yeah, yeah. intensive music program. It's, it's a bit tricky. I mean, like you can probably prepare, but it's, it's a bit hard. So, yeah, pretty much that's, that's my background of that, like music education in Serbia. The lessons there were quite traditional. We, we still have blackboards there. I sp I've spoken to a few friends now and they go back and visit the teachers. We still have blackboards and chalk. The teacher stands in front of the class. They tell you the information. You write it down. You have your little desk. And it's like that throughout, yeah, primary to high school, right. which, which was all I knew pretty much. And then, yeah, after high school, that's when I came to Australia a few years after. So I was 20 when I arrived to Australia and I was 22 when I enrolled in the Sydney Conservatorium of Music. So my major was piano performance. So I was classically trained pianist for a long time and that's what I knew to do. And that was my, you know, that was my life for, for quite a long time. I did competitions, I did performances. Even in Australia here, I would do piano teaching and yeah, just perform. We, when I came here, we moved to this beautiful place called the Central Coast and there's a Central Coast Regional Conservatorium. I played with them. And then, yeah, when I, when I joined the conservatorium, that's what I did. And two years, not even, year and a half into it, I started, <sighs> yeah. I started questioning what will I do? How I was married at that time and, you know, we needed a steady income. We were renting an apartment and I was just questioning, like, what can I do? And then I, I met this guy. I believe you know him. His name was James Humberstone. Wow, oh, fantastic guy. That, now it all makes sense. Yeah, it all makes sense. And he told me, why don't you just come and see what we do here? And then I came from one that was like, okay, this is it. This sounds a lot more interesting. I spoke to him and Michael Webb, who helped me transfer into the music education degree. And this was right at that time where students would start doing their practicum, as in going to schools and starting to teach, because they've already done around two years of, of education training. So what I had to do is catch up. 
So in that one semester, I would do, I don't know, three or four extra units and my practicum would be at the end in, you know, supposedly the, the university holidays. So it was, it was pretty tricky. It was pretty yeah. tricky. I loved every single moment of it. So at that time, we would do mostly ORF and Kodai teaching methodologies and everything would be hands-on activities. And my first prac was like that. I was in a primary school and I would teach, it was a boys' school and I would teach them how to dance. Yeah, <laughs> that's it, great. It was awesome. It was so cool. And then as soon as I finished that, that prac, when we got back, that's when I had James, who was one of the mentors, and all the subjects that would include musical technology. So you can imagine coming from Serbia where we learn, you know, there's a blackboard, the teacher writes on it, coming here where people had smart boards. And I, I was so impressed by smart boards. Everyone hated them here. They're like, they're too slow. The resolution is bad. But I'm like, you can write on the board and it's digital. And yeah. you can <laughs> touch it with your fingers. What? So I was so impressed by all of that. And then, yeah, we just had so many subjects where we would edit music. And to me, before that, I love music and I agree, I'm really interested in EDM and electronic music. And I could never figure out how that was done. And then just learning about it at uni, it just blew my mind. And I was, yeah, I was sold at that point. So this is how that music teaching and teaching through technology kind of like started for me. I finished my degree in 2017. And somehow straight away, I got the job in this amazing high school where kids are just brilliant. Um, they like to learn. They like to learn and they love music. That's so, great. That's amazing. <laughs> you know, I got to say, uh, James, James Humberstone is uh, an absolute genius. He's, a, uh, he's an incredible composer. I met him many years ago when he was still teaching at a at a private school, it may have been a it may have been a high school um, in Sydney, and just was blown away by his knowledge, by his approach. He's so friendly. He's such a a compelling speaker, and he's a genius. So it doesn't really doesn't surprise me at all that he would kind of influence you in that way. And uh, fantastic for you to landing on both feet right after uni with a gig, because um, those people who have not had the absolute um, privilege of going to Australia, I've been now, I think, four or five times. The Sydney Conservatory is one of the most beautiful uh, locations in Australia. It's right in the middle of these botanical gardens, steps from the uh, Sydney Opera House. I mean, it is just I'm sure that you were inspired every day, uh, you know, teaching, learning, uh, all that. It, it was just beautiful. That, that time was, was pretty amazing. I would go, and it's, it's right in between. It's where all the big, big buildings are in the city. I would go to Union, then even after that, I would just like walk around the con, walk through the city, come back. It was, it's just a beautiful place, beautiful place to yeah. be. So let's, um, let's then move on to where you are now. So you're at, the, at North Sydney uh, Girls High School. Why don't you tell us, you know, paint a picture about what does your music program look like? And, you know, in these podcasts, Alex, um, it used to be a very simple question where you're just like, well, I teach this, 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 and this. Um, but I know that even though Australia has done an infinitely better job with uh, kind of containing and handling the COVID um virus i i'm sure it had some impact so i'd love to hear like what your program was like up until covid what it's been like during covid and what you hope it will be like after i know that's a lot to get through but uh yeah paint a picture of of your program let's do it let's do it so one of the most exciting parts is the early so that's our stage four so this is year seven and eight 
for the students who just arrived to our high school. So this program has a lot to offer. And it's a bit tricky for them in the first term, but then they get used to it and they, they start loving it. So we form, each class has 30 students and we have 150 students in each year. And in each class, we form little bands. So students stay within their band for a term. And then after that, they can change. I usually let them choose that. They usually work really well when they choose their groups. So they're groups of five and they do all of their activities in those groups in one term. So we have six different activities in the classroom. Three of those activities relate to performance. One of them is definitely composition. One of them is actually called music first. And we have a little... <laughs> Love it. Yeah, music first, music last, music always. And kids love those cheesy phrases, don't they? That's so that's great. how they find it. And I will explain why we call it like that. And then we have the last area is called skill development, which could be pretty much anything. One week there could be, you know, learning how to play a scale on a piano or like a little keyboard. Or the other day they could learn how to put effects in, in a, like a door, in a digital audio workstation or anything. It's just some kind of a skill development. So in each, each lesson goes for 60 minutes and we have roughly 20 minute activities. So they do three different activities in each lesson. So our goal is to try and have students do composition, some kind of a musicology and a performance activity in each lesson. Wow. And I think we are achieving that. It's pretty good. And just because they are around 20 minutes each, we still have that focus of students. So, you know, they, they will do like a little composition for about 16, 17, 17 minutes. And like, okay, they save their work. And yes, we, we use mostly NodeFlight and Soundtrap for the composition. So everything's browser-based. So, you know, they can just save it, move on to the next activity. And next activity is usually a performance. So they just get like, oh, pump down and let's do it. And, you know, play really good hits. All our programs are based on, in terms of performance, songs that students would love. After each term, we do a little survey and we ask them about the songs that they do like. And our topics, for example, would be uh, music and film. And, you know, we would need to cover that and we would play a song from a film. But then, as you can imagine, most of pop and rock songs would appear in some of the films. And, you know, we're going to get around it in, in that way. And kids just love it. So most, most of our yeah, songs are from the last probably, let's say, 30 years. Awesome. Of, awesome. I love it. They just get really engaged, really into it. We do a lot of K-pop, J-pop as well. It's, it's pretty fantastic. So... Yeah, the way we do this, we have a main stage and this is the area where the teacher spends probably uh, 10 out of those 20 minutes in rotation. So in, in, on that, it's, it's a pretty cool stage. It's a silent, loud stage, which means that everything's loud for students. They all have headphones and they have their own volume control to adjust the mix that comes to them. But no one else can hear them in the classroom unless we or as in teachers, we change that. And we will do that every every few weeks at the end of our cycle. We would, you know, showcase all of our performances. So it's kind of like a live gig for our, for our young students. Um, so, yeah. Are those, are those uh, do they use those jam pods? Is that what they're called over there? No, we do have, we do have jam, jam hubs. I think jam hubs, an, yeah, uh, Roland X, uh, no, HS5. Yeah. And, yeah, digital now, which is pretty cool. So you can pre-save pre and pre-load your mixes. Oh, very cool. 
Yes, yeah, helps helps a lot with students. You know, they 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 really like touching stuff and touching all the buttons. And when they mess <laughs> up, they're like, okay, you press a button and it's all preloaded. So yeah, the whole point of of those mixes is that students just grab the instrument and they just play. So the only thing that we need to do at the beginning, turn them on, maybe tune the guitar and bass guitar, and everything's everything's ready to go. So two of the other stations in, in terms of performance are using those kind of mixes. And the cool thing about them is you can turn the mix so they can only hear themselves or they can hear the whole band. So right. we have one performance area where they have individual practice. So they're all in a group and they can talk to each other. And this is, this is especially good that if a student learn how to play the guitar and then a few weeks later they switch, they can help each other. They can say like, oh, on the guitar, this is what you do. This is where you put your fingers. This is how you press things. So they can just work together. They're in the same room, but they can only hear their own part. So yes, to answer your question shortly, we use them and they're, they're quite fantastic. I, I really love them. Great. You can also record from them when we, when we do have little performance activities. You just put, put a USB in them, you press record and it straight, straight away goes into them. You can, you can go multi-track recording or you can have one way file with with everything mixed already that's great but yeah that's pretty much that's pretty much what we do in music we try and cover variety of styles and genres of songs so our students can have different you know different experiences in terms of performance and composition and we just try and utilize all of that in the in the fun activities and yeah so from the beginning when i started we just had a big empty classroom. We had a lot of hands-on activities, but there was not much technology involved. And probably six months into my into my career, I just said, like, yeah, let's just do this. And I made a big proposal to the principal and I contacted probably four different music shops and I tried to get the best prices possible for some of the electronic instruments uh, and audio interface. Just a few things to put it to put it put it together. I made a proposal to the principal, and he said, "Yeah, go for it." Fantastic. Hey, that was pretty. <laughs> it was <laughs> very lucky. Yeah, pretty pretty lucky. But yeah, it was definitely worth it. And then in the beginning, all of those instruments that were just on the floor, I had duct tape just to cover all the cables to make it all safe. And then I would bring the principal in and it's kind of like, have a look at this. We really need a stage. <laughs> and then it just kind of looks started growing from there, from there. And then, you know, one year we would have the stage. The other year we will get another jam hub. We will get a few more computers so we can do composition a bit better. And yeah, it, it just kind of started from this empty classroom to, you know, now we've got a really modern looking classroom which we are trying to develop at the moment into a recording studio oh wow so do you know i have to i have to interrupt you for a minute do you know brad fuller at northern beaches christian school i have a few points about him remember how i told you about my first prep when i did it in primary school my yes. next was with brad <laughs> well there you go because uh, man does it sound like for you know very similar approach and i i mean i went to his classroom and he was a guest on this podcast right in the beginning. And uh, what, yeah, it, it, I love that approach. And I think that what you're doing is, is just brilliant. And I'm sure the kids love it. So that's now it, now it all is very clear. You had James Humberstone and then you did your practice with uh, Brad Fuller. It makes it very much makes sense. We spent around six weeks with Brad. There were three of us actually as practice students working at Northern Beaches Christian school i believe that's yep, the full yep, name yep 
and we were just experiencing everything they were doing. The first, the first two weeks there, it was just mind blowing. We were just trying to wrap our head around how can they possibly manage all of that. But I, I think that's that proper student centered learning that we yeah, are absolutely, learning. absolutely. And, you know, students just take take that charge, and you know everything's there. So the other thing that we were inspired from, they had this Google Doc with all the information for students. So we've moved that to the next level at North Senegal. So we have a program on our website and everything's in the cycle. So they would click on cycle one and all the six activities would pop up in tiles in, on a new page and students would just click on one of the activities and they would, they would get to do that. All the explanations, all the video tutorials, everything would be in that on that little page for Excellent. them. People for them, and this is this is where we use music first really well. And the so the software we use mostly are so Soundtrap, NoteFlight, Focus on Sound. Yep. And then for seniors, or the we use Oralian Musician. Oh, very good, very good. Another Australian company, excellent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so oh, they're, they're just brilliant. I love I love both. I love actually all all of the software. So the way we we do it is we would link everything onto our website. So students would just need to have that bookmark, that website. They know the week we're in or the cycle. They click on that and then they click on the link. It takes them to their music first, to whatever activity they're doing or the performance, PDF, whatever. So everything's simplified for them in in that one document that that they can do. Now, if we don't have internet, it, it's a big problem. But it, it sure is, I'm sure. <laughs> so, what's going on, right? I mean, how, how has um, how has your school been impacted by COVID? You know, did did they close? Did they go virtual? Or were you hybrid, or or were you open the whole time? Yeah. So we had last year around May. So when when there was that big boom, this is when we closed for, I think about maybe four weeks. Okay. Like that. So we went online. So for me, it was, it was an interesting experience just because at that stage, I've been working for probably around three years on to making, make, making all the online resources, pretty much everything we're doing in the classroom is online already. Right. And just most of our students were familiar with Music First and how it works and how to access all the, all the activities. It was fine. We had reduced load. So students, instead of having, let's say, three lessons a fortnight, they would have one or two. Okay. Uh, what I, it was so easy to track it from from my from my side because all of the material was there for them and just having that great book all all of my activities on on music first I would create them as tasks and I would give them a little mark so they all appear in grade book and then I could track who did what and then when we have a Zoom or I think we use Teams sorry when yep. we have a Teams call with students I could just identify who did what and who needs to do whatever and if they had you know, what was the reason they didn't do it or if they need any help. And it, it was just, it was good. It was good for, for me at that time. I didn't, I didn't struggle too much, I have to say. However, the biggest problem was when we came back. When we came back, we had to use all the measures and put them in our classroom. And then that was a bit of a problem because they couldn't share the equipment, which meant that straight away our rock bands are done. We couldn't ah, see. Right, right, right. Because you'd have to sanitize them between each rehearsal. Exactly. And this is what we are doing doing now. But even at that time, they, they were just like, yeah, you can sanitize the desks, but how do you sanitize a bass guitar? How do you spread? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I just, yeah, it, it was very, very tricky. So 
we would we would just go back to their own instruments and they would do a lot of recordings of their own performances. We focused in the classroom mostly on composition and musicology. It did get a little bit boring just because students love performance and they really enjoyed that setup of performing, you know, every lesson and performing live for their peers. So that's what we were missing. So right. now a lot of our restrictions have eased. And this this happened probably in the last term, well, maybe even maybe a bit more. And we, we could go back to our performances. We're still sanitizing all the equipment. But even even now. Yeah, yeah, we still we still do that. I, I know like I think recently, maybe two weeks ago, there, there was a big ease of restrictions. So there's we can we can go back to choirs, we can have a big choir in a room. They they don't have to be socially distanced. We can have yeah all all the big events. The stadiums can be full. Oh, wonderful! Eased in Australia, which is which is just great. And people were fantastic. I remember. So yeah, we moved. My partner and I we moved to the Central Coast, and it takes me around like an hour and a bit to travel on the train. Everyone is wearing masks. Everyone has just been fantastic in dealing in dealing with the pandemic. And I think now now we can. And not really relaxed, but we can we can enjoy that time that and effort that we put in. Yeah, and a, a lot of a lot of people that are listening to this podcast, specifically in the United States, may not know that your school year is set up from a calendar standpoint very very differently from ours here in the United States. We start a new academic year in either August or September, and the school year ends in May or June. For you guys, you guys start in the very beginning of February or end of January. Yes. That's the start. That's right. Yes. And we have four terms. They usually last about like two and a half months each. And we have two week break in between each term, except in between fourth and first, where we have a five week break. Right. It's it's such it's, it's similar to the British system. I love these like two week breaks. I'm sure every teacher in the United States. I know this has nothing to do with technology, Alex, but I'm sure that every music teacher and every teacher in the U.S. would love this idea of a two week break after every marking period. But so the May, so you closed for four weeks in May. And then when you came back, you really had the rest of the school year to go. And then, and you know, so your break, if you will, the five week break was really December, January time. Pretty much, pretty much that. Very interesting. So why don't you, um, um, what are you, I'm sure that like every other music teacher in the world, you just can't wait for all of the restrictions um, to be lifted. So I'm I'm sure that sanitizing a guitar over and over with uh, wipes is not really the best thing for the uh, instrument. Do you have any any idea of when when you think, at least in Australia and Sydney, where you are, when it'll be back to quote unquote normal? I, I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. I, I guess we'll have to just wait for all the vaccines, both stages to happen and see yeah. how, how people react to that. And I don't know. I, I really hope that it will, it will end of this year as soon as possible yeah i I just got my second shot in my arm uh vaccine yesterday i'm very very excited i might sound super jovial today so um yeah i i I think just like every other teacher and music teacher specifically we just can't wait to get back to back to normal and i don't think we'll ever take for granted again um the joy of making music with kids in the same room (laughs) I just think it's been really trying and taxing for all, but it's, it's really wonderful to hear that, 
it, it sounds like it was just four weeks of complete disruption and then trying to uh, yeah. modify what you were doing when you got back. Yeah, going back was was really hard because, yeah, as you can tell, most uh, most of our programs, they focus on performance yep. and just losing that, losing that, especially in the junior years, that was really tricky. And just getting them to, you know, use uh, virtual instruments. Yeah. They're happy doing that for some time, but they really wanted to be in that band. They really wanted to play with their friends. They really wanted to create, you know, the, the distorted guitar sound and, yep. you know, enjoyed music in that way so yeah it was it was really try, hard to keep them on 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 track without those fun i mean like we had fun and engaging activities but this right. is definitely after every survey that we do probably 95 percent of them they just say like yeah rock bands the best thing we want to play pop music we want to do this so it's it's pretty cool there was an interesting thing that happened with my year 10 class we had a project and this is right when the COVID hit we had a project we took a movie should I say the name of the movie I sure purposes. it was Cloverfield and the whole movie has no soundtrack except for one at the end no soundtrack throughout the whole movie so our project was to create the soundtrack for the whole movie we had about I think 19 students in that class oh wow I gave them different roles. It was all very much democratic. So we were voting. So we had a director of the project who was a student and that director made all the big decisions. What goes where, who's composing what. And then we had managers. So we had a manager for the composition. We had a manager for editing. We had a manager for visuals who will kind of decide or you know propose to the director where should compositions go and how. So we started doing that project and that was still when everything was normal let's say mm-hmm. we, would, we would discuss Wagner and the light motifs and you know we would look into program music we would look into ballet and how music accompanies movement and what is happening we would do a lot of little compositional activities based on the kids actually did one on me I would I would ask them to you know write five different attributes about their teacher and then you know we would try and transfer that into music so we tried to use that in in our movie for each character so for example at the beginning there's this male character who's very happy, but then at the end of the movie, he, you know, something bad happens. He loses his girlfriend and he's sad. So we try to, you know, use that, uh, have a happy theme and then use the same theme, the same material and make it sad or like, you know, a, a bit more, a bit more emotional. How, how are we going to do that? So this project started just before COVID and then we had to merge it. Like when, when we went to lockdown, we were still working as a group and we had all these little teams and that was that took a bit of a time because I planned it for the classroom. Yeah, exactly. Great thing. And I didn't even know about this until that happened. The soundtrack has a video call feature. Yes. I had no clue about this. And then students told me it's kind of like, okay, we've got it sorted. So all the students collaborated in that group, and I, I could be invited in, and then we would just have a video call. And then we would decide what are we going to do with the composition. They all had their instruments at home and it was just, the project just continued. It was really cool. I guess the, the program was very engaging for students and us, our students are just brilliant. I, I've got nothing else to say about them. They're just such good bunch of kids and they just kept going. They just kept going and we finished it. We finished it right in that time. The project lasted for about 15 weeks. So yeah, it's a huge weeks. undertaking. Abs- I don't think people realize just how how difficult it is to to score a film, a full film. Right? It's an insane uh, amount of work. 
Yeah, yeah. But it was just beautiful. I, I really, really enjoyed that whole project. And kids loved it. And I had parents calling me. Parents called me that they said, well, what are you doing in music? Kids come back from school and out of all the subjects, they just keep talking about music. And this I music. love it. I love it. That's how it should be all the time. I love that. That's fantastic. <laughs> so you, you, Alex, you said that you focused a lot because you couldn't do the performance. I mean, you just basically um, outlined one of your composition projects. Um, tell me how you, you know, what other types of composition activities did you do with your students? Uh, is that during the... Or no, anytime. Just, you know, what kind of what kind of activities do you do with your kids um, in terms of composition? OK, I'll tell you one that we did just now. This is for year eight students. And this is the first time we did it. We did a podcast. <laughs> oh, very good. There you go. That's perfect. Yeah, it was very it's, it's we were marking that right now. And my colleague and I, we we created a bad example for them. So we, we created a bad teachers podcast. And we would analyze that and just talk like, why is it, why is it so, you know, what, what do we want from them and what do we not want in the, in the podcast? So what they have to do is they need to create a little soundtrack at the beginning. They need to have a name for the podcast and they need to choose a song and dis discuss a concept and a concept, sorry, concept and context of a song. So any, anything that interests them about the song. And then in terms of concepts, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the New South Wales syllabus. We have six <clears throat> concepts of music and we use them to analyze everything pretty mm -hmm. much. It's a, yeah, it's an interesting way, but it's kind of like group. So we have like, for example, pitch and it's got to do everything with highness and lowness of notes. So everything to do with harmony and melody would fit into that category, if that makes sense. So students would choose something, not necessarily a specific concept, but just something that they would analyze in music and talk about that in their in their podcast. So they had to tick a few of few of those little boxes of the criteria to to you know uh, create a successful podcast, I guess, based on based on the rubric. But this is one of the one of the most recent composition activities that we did with them. So we would we would get them to to create, yeah, as I said just the soundtrack at the beginning, which would last between, I think it was 10 and 20 seconds. And they would just analyze music and they would put little bits, little bits of the songs in it to talk about the analysis. So it's kind of like actually a mix between, between a musicology and, and a composition task that they would do. Very cool. Well, what I'll do, Alex, is, is um, in, in case any of them listen to this, because there's no pressure on the two of us, if they're yeah. all creating podcasts and analyzing what's good and bad about them. Kids, you have an amazing music teacher, and I hope you like our podcast that we're putting together now. Uh, we're doing it, what, 10,000 miles apart and, or whatever it is. Yeah. And uh, that's really great. That, that, that I mean, podcasting, you know, um, Alex, I'm sure that kids around the world are the same um, in, in many, many ways. In many ways, they're different. But um, here in the United States, and I'm sure it's the same for your students, they love the idea of being an expert on a topic and then going on something like TikTok, uh, you know, makeup yeah. tutorials, hair tutorials, cooking videos. You know, kids are really um, interested in creating content. And um, I'm sure that they love the podcast uh, idea because, you know, I mean, it seems, uh, you know, it, Podcasts have been around now for 
14, 15 years, and they kind of fell out of favor five years ago, six years ago. Then a few really popular ones came back, and now it seems like everybody has a podcast, myself included. Yeah. Um, but yeah, very cool project. I, I'm, I, I hope they, uh, I hope they enjoy listening to this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, other other types of activities, or maybe what do you do with NoteFlight with the students? Um, we use it. We use it across. Yeah, pretty much seven to ten or eleven. Oh, even some of my year twelve students, we use it for for little activities when they come to that stage they they are asked by the uh, pretty much yeah their uh, high school certificate so one of the things that they have to do is compose a very sophisticated piece of music so in the in the senior years we use for values yep. but with note flight we do all all sorts of different different little activities so for example in year 10 the current year 10 class we are doing uh, the figured bass so I would give them a little activity like that in NoteFlight and I could, I could just share it with them and create, make it a template and they would do an activity like that. We use NoteFlight also in that other, the film music project. Mm -hmm. we, we, we were mixing between NoteFlight and Soundtrap because the cool thing about those two software, and I believe it's, yeah, because they're both running through Music Fest, so you can just export it from one and import it in the other one. Yep. You can see the notation there. And it was just so cool because some students... NoteFlight would be the way a lot of our students were traditionally trained as well in, in traditional classical music. So, you know, seeing the notes in, in that, you know, the way they are in Western art music makes sense to them. But then we would have a few students who are like, oh, you know, soundtrack and meeting notes, that, that's, how it, that's how it should be. You know, the length of the note and the height, oh, it makes all sense. And then for all of them to work together, they could just export it and import it in, in another software and it would make sense to everyone, which was which was really cool. So I, I absolutely love that you said that because I've been saying that for years that giving kids the option, yes. I mean, it's, it's like saying to an artist, you can only ever use charcoal for the rest of your career. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, that they may, they may be a really good painter, but terrible at charcoal. So um, to be able to provide those um, options and then having professional level software there as well is brilliant. And I, I, I applaud that because kids don't necessarily feel comfortable composing in one software. They may not know how to read music, for example. And when you mentioned like EDM, you know, when's the last time you notated a beat track at EDM? You're not. You're, you're using something like Ableton Live, Pro Tools, Logic, maybe some of the higher end stuff, or you, you know, these kids are getting started on stuff like Soundtrap. So it's really cool that you said that. I'm, 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 I, I love it. Yeah, we did actually another thing that this was in year nine. This was my colleague. Uh, she did a program program for a piece of music and she went to a concert, actually like mul multiple of them. And then one of them, they would give them, a, they would give listeners a program with all musical terms. And someone came up with an idea. Um, I can't remember the name. Someone came up with an idea. Instead of writing the words, maybe they could give them a chart to listeners. So a chart would be, for example, if the piece symphony starts with timpani, there would be a picture of a, you know. Oh uh, yeah, listening map. Yeah, listening map. And it would just kind of like have lines and notes where the notes are going and how fast they're going. So one of the tasks was for students to do that for a chosen piece of music. And it brilliant. just, it was brilliant. Yeah, it was just fantastic. Students loved that. And they, they were not, they were not really familiar with that, that, you know, they could kind of like present, represent notes or like the, the way the music is going through, through pictures or through, you know, just like the, the movement of lines. 
So yeah, that, that was also something that we did recently and you know, it, it received some very positive feedback. Very cool. Well, Alex, I've got two more questions for you and I'm looking at the clock and thinking, uh, all right, I got to get these in before time runs out. Um, so the, the, the first one is about advice. And what I love about your story is that you are a classically trained pianist coming from an extremely traditional model of music education, blackboards, chalk, desk, you know, uh, the teacher being the absolute authority. Then you you go to the uh, Sid, Sydney Con and you meet James Humberstone and you're kind of then you meet Brad Fuller and now you're kind of doing something you know probably the not the opposite because music you know music is music and and being a trained talented musician is, is uh, it has you know many it, it works across all aspects of music and music education but the the, the advice that you would give um, to other teachers who are considering um, bringing technology in and might be from that traditional school. I'd love to love to get your advice. Yeah, well, in, in my opinion, it, in, in that early beginning stages in bringing technology into your classroom, it depends what it is at this stage. If it's very traditional and there's no technology at all, it, it's pretty much what, you know, similar to what my classroom was when I, when I arrived. Right. Uh, it, takes, it takes some time and effort to set it all up. However, what I did, I would just do stages by stages. So, you know, I would, I would create a little, I would buy a jam hub and we would have five electronic instruments where five students could perform on their own. Then we would get another five computers, you know, we would set up a software and then we got, we got music first quite early in, in those stages. So just setting it up in the beginning, it takes a bit of time. However, it makes teacher's life a lot easier later on. Yep. This is, this is from my experience. And then what, the other thing that's really probably even more important, again, my experience is student engagement and creativity goes through the roof. It's just pretty astonishing what students can achieve in one lesson now in my class in comparison to four years ago, what I did. Every lesson, they're creating something. Every lesson, they create a new piece of music. Every lesson, they learn how to play something new on an instrument. And, you know, before when I think about it, standing in front of them and telling them what a crotchet is and what a minimum is and how a minimum is twice as long. And now they can just grab a guitar and play those things and they can understand it. Less than one lesson, it's just, you know, to me, I'm, I think that's, you know, it changed it all. It changed it all when they can, when they can achieve all of those results in, in a shorter period of time. The other thing from teacher's perspective, I've got my our programs are, are pretty set at, at the moment and they are, kind of running and we just keep improving them. So I had a bit of time to invest into marking and feedback. So I used Google Sheet and a bit of coding as well to create automated feedback and reports. I'm not sure in, in US if you do reports at the end of at the end of each semester. Yes, at, at each marking period. Yep. Yes. So yeah, so I've created this to because so students would get feedback based on what they achieve. Of course, there's room for more individualized feedback and, you know, putting, putting just comments on like a, that are a bit more specific. Right. But it saves so much of, of our time, especially because North Sydney Girls is a selective high school and so many students, you know, they try really hard to achieve that like high box of, of the rubric. And this system will just create little sentences for them and tell them what did they achieve which is followed by my feedback. And then all of that is being sent to their email, but by just push of a button. That's fantastic. So, 
involving <laughs> that technology into into my classroom it just saves so much time rather than you know going through each one of them and then you know talking to each one of them in the classroom i'm more than happy don't get me wrong to talk to them in, in the classroom but like this it's all sent to them and then they come and find me if they've got any questions and you know they can engage with with that feedback which is pretty cool now with uh, creating of all the resources that takes time and as i said programs are set but we continuously keep improving them we are changing the songs we change you know our composition tasks last year were to you know learn how to play a song and create an improvisation and then this year was a podcast so they, they keep on changing but there are different ways to create those resources i remember one of your guests bob i think uh, who has shared the music oh yeah was, bob habersat is amazing yeah. And he was talking about how the way he records and he's got three cameras and he's got a Bluetooth switch underneath his desk. So all of that video recording editing is just done while it's being recorded. And I'm like, oh my, that's so brilliant. I can't yeah. believe <laughs> that's, you know, so it's, yeah. you get creating resources and, and everything's faster. So definitely, definitely there's, there's an improvement in, in engagement of students in classroom in, you know, that, teachers uh, working and life balance at the end I, I i feel it's gotten a lot a lot better for me That's since great. a lot of a lot of technology involved music first as well it's just a brilliant way of you know having having all of the students in one place being able to track what they've done being able to access all of their work pretty much if they're doing a composition in notify at any point you can just come in give them some feedback if they're going in the right or, you know, if they, if they need any kind of direction, you can just go in soundtrack, just put a note in there. Okay. Focus on this, try that. And, you know, helping, helping students by giving them that live feedback. So, yeah. That's great. Um, I, my, my last question, first of all, all excellent, excellent advice. And I hope everybody was listening and, and, and taking notes. So the last question is the magic wand question. And I'm, I'm, I'm I'm really curious to know what if you could wave a magic wand and, and make some make music first do something that it doesn't do or any of the tools that you use what what would it be? Alrighty, so music first. I've got a few little things. I'm not sure which ones are possible. Magic wand is what you say. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so one of them, something that we did this year, we would put students in groups in student groups, and I know that's available in music first. You can put them all in one class. So what we do, we would create one class for all of our year seven students. And then we would put them in groups based on their actual class. So they would have seven, I don't know, Y, seven, B, right. seven. So one of the things probably is possible to put that in the CVS file into the bulk, bulk upload. So We're actually, that is planned so that you yeah. can upload what group they're in from the bulk upload. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're, we're, uh, we are planning on doing it. We just don't know exactly when, but yes, that is in the works. That's, that's very, that would be, yeah, very, very helpful. The other thing that I was, so this is something, feedback, feedback was one of my goals for last and this year to kind of work on improving, improving feedback for students and getting students to engage with feedback. So in Music First, you can upload your, your rubric and then, I had this idea, what if when students do their work and they, they of course need to base it on that rubric and all the little fields, at the end, when they finish their task, you would mark it, but then when they, when they get that back, they would get feedback and they would get that rubric back, but they don't get to mark. So what they would need to do, 
they would have an interactive rubric and they would need to click on the boxes that they thought that they achieved. Oh, I see. Very cool idea. So the kids would be able to fill out their own rubrics as well. Exactly, exactly. So if they kind of like align everything, this is when they get their mark and, you know, Excellent. so they need to engage with it. So I, I think that would be, I try to look into software that would do that, but yeah, haven't had much luck with it yet. But just kind of like giving them that interactive platform. So you give them your feedback and the rubric and they just kind of like figure out where they are and what do they do. And that gives them their, their little mark. Fantastic. Fantastic idea. Uh, Alex, I am I am thrilled that we got to chat. Uh, I, I could talk to you for hours. Likewise. Uh, I, I cannot wait to come back to Australia. And I guarantee you, I'm going to take time out of my schedule to come and visit you and, and see all the great things you're doing. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. I truly appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Tim. All right. Take care. You have a good day. Thank you for listening to Profiles in Teaching with Technology from Music First. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. If you would like to stay up to date with other music teachers doing innovative things in their classrooms with technology, please subscribe to our podcast through whatever outlet you listen to podcasts on. Thanks for listening.